This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. We are in Psalm 88, probably if I had to rank it as uh, in the book of Psalms, it is probably one of the darkest Psalms in uh, the book of Psalms. It is, it is a Psalm of perspective from someone who is mired in depression, mired in pain, difficulty, the struggle to hear and, hear and see God. It is, it is definitely a, a dark look into the heart of humanity and the struggle that is man. I could say it has some prophetic aspects to it, but not really. Really, it is a deep dive into the result of sin and the result of separation from God. And you say, well, then why is it in the Bible? Because it has significance. I think God is going, God always paints a picture of reality to us. And when we come to his word, there there has to be at some point in time, a look at the depths and the pain that being separated from God has. And, and so when we go through this psalm, we'll spend a little time on it, but it is not a psalm of pleasure, but it also is a psalm to, to definitely give you an insight into how many around us oftentimes feel, and many around us oftentimes live their lives on a daily basis. And I can tell you that I know that that, that is true because my profession and the things that I deal with each and every day and the people that I deal with, and it is. After reading this psalm, it gives me more of a sense of compassion and a sense of understanding when I'm dealing with these with with people who are really and really truly living in hopelessness. And knowing that you're dealing with people who live in hopelessness and the desperation that comes from that. And Jesus said that was going to be the case. He said, the poor you'll have with you always, meaning meaning that there is always going to be this until he returns and sets everything perfectly. That's going to uh, be the case. And the truth is, over the last 150, 200 years, people's desperation as far as food and clothing and housing and things like that has decreased greatly in the world due to freedom and the spread of uh, capitalism, but that does not change the fact that there is a deep, there's a deep hole in the soul of, of humanity that can only be filled by an immense and eternal and unimaginable God. And so if that hole exists, which we know it does, and if, if you've really ever dealt with people, if you really ever even care about people, you will see that depth of that hole in their heart, in their lives. And it can only be filled by God. It can only be, this hole can only be filled by God. 
and and there is a desperation to find him or to find an answer. Many don't even know what that answer is, do not know that it's him. And he says, this is a, a psalm of, of the sons of Korah. I find that the sons of Korah can be very depressing or very joyful, and maybe they're bipolar, I don't know. But they seem to be, have very high psalms and very low psalms, and then David seems to be more in the middle. He says, O Lord God of my salvation, I've cried out day and night before you. Notice he, he, he understands that God is the only one that can save him. And he is the source of salvation. And he's saying, I've cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. And this beginning of the psalm, is very similar to other psalms. It is very similar to psalms that we've read before, where especially the Davidic psalms, where you're just going through and, and he, he cries out, he assesses the situation, he sees God in the midst of the situation, he, he places his faith in God, and then there's hope to come. You're going to find that's not true here. And, and some people struggle to find hope. They struggle to, well, they struggle to, rightly assess their situation. They struggle to be able to trust God. They struggle, even though they've been given the gift of faith, they, they struggle to trust him. And so he says, for my soul is full of troubles. Notice there's a, there is a, a total and complete in his life feeling of trouble and struggle. He says, and my life draws near to the grave and he feels like he's about to die. And that is not a that is not a, a a flippant comment. That is not a when that is not something that is uh, that is just said because of desperation. Many people in this situation do feel like they are just about on the verge of death because that whenever there is a total absence of hope. Death is not far away, and death has its full full array of power in a hopeless situation. That is true in a very real spiritual sense. People die in the throes of hopelessness. He says, I am counted with those who go down to the pit. What he's saying is, I feel like I'm with the group that, that doesn't even know you, that is separated from you for eternity. I'm like a man who has no strength. Have you ever been around somebody who's depressed and they just lay in the bed all day long and all day long and they just feel like they have no strength? He says, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your hand. If you have, if you know someone who is like that, who is who's really distant and really always tired, always drift away. That's probably because of depression. He says, you've laid me in the lowest pit, in dark and in the depths. Now, the perception is that God has done this. The truth is that the world is in total, the world is a pit. It is the, David describes it elsewhere. He says, he calls it the valley of the shadow of death. The world is that place. And without a clear message and a clear uh, word from God, it's that way for uh, us. A lot, a lot of times uh, people will quote the passage, where there is no vision, the pe people perish. And, uh, and although the translation of that word for vision there is not a wrong translation in the sense that 
That word can be translated vision. The word actually is better translated revelation. Without a revelation, the people perish. That that translation of vision has always been used to say that a church needs to have a big vision for what it's supposed to do. And you're selling the vision. You're selling what direction you're going in. Um, the problem with that is it doesn't really fit in line uh, with scripture, it's more of a worldly, it's more of a worldly pattern or thought pattern. The translation that says where there is no revelation, the people perish is far more biblically in line, is far more in line biblically with how God has revealed him. And what that said, what that saying is without the, if there is no revelation from God, revelation of his word, revelation of his nature, revelation of his plan, revelation of his purposes in your life, then you do perish. You you shrivel away to nothing because God's revelation, his plan, his His purposes bring about hope and, and life. And so when we think about it, sure, should a church have a vision? Yeah, but that vision ought to be God's plan. And really what the church needs is a revelation from God of its purpose, why it's there. And you say, isn't the church always got a purpose? A lot of times churches are planted and God puts a group of people in a place for a reason. And um, that reason is fairly evident to everyone. And working out that reason, working out that purpose of God, knowing that revelation from God and working it out brings about, brings about a, a powerful movement of the Holy Spirit because we're joining him in his plan and his work. People who, who don't have any knowledge of that feel like they're continually in the land of the shadow of death with no revealing from God of any plan to move forward. He says, verse seven, your wrath lies heavy upon me and you have afflicted me with all your, notice your waves, it's a waves of anguish and pain. And, and psychologists and, and counselors will tell you that that when a person is is pining away when a person is dealing with with the loss of a of a loved one when they're when they're uh, grieving that grief and that pain comes in waves it just comes in it's like the ocean it just pours over you and then it'll ease off and pour over you and ease off the, the psalmist is explaining that he feels like he feels like the the pain of of life is coming in waves at him he says you have put away my acquaintances far from me. Notice how the notice how the enemy and how this world separates us from uh, those who we know. And notice he doesn't call them friends; he calls them acquaintances because it's very difficult to have uh, true friendships with someone who is totally uh, lost and depressed and walking in darkness. Uh, it's very difficult to have friends like that. Uh, and if you do, they they tend to be fleeting. He says, "You have made men." Uh, abomination to them, meaning, and people do that when people are like, especially with, with those who have addiction issues, boy, they just get to the point where their whole life is centered around that substance. And then, and then it becomes so appalling to those that are around them that they don't want to have anything to do with them. And they feel like they're just alone in, in nothingness. He says, I'm shut up and I cannot get out. My eye wastes away because of affliction. Notice he can't even see any hope. He says, Lord, I've called daily upon you. I've stretched out my hand to you. 
Will you work wonders for the dead? Now, this is the part that I, when I was alluding, that there could be some aspect of, of prophetic ideas here. And it is an idea that when you are in the hopelessness and nothingness, that God takes that which is dead and makes it alive. And and so I could see how you could definitely use this part of the psalm as, as prophetic. But he says, you work wonders for the dead. Shall the dead arise and praise you? And the answer to that is yes, they shall. But it's when God steps in, not when we step in. God is the initiator of that, not, our, not ourselves. Shall your loving kindness, and you know how much I love that word, shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? And it is. And, and that is a foreshadowing of Jesus that that he went down to the pit, he went down to the grave and won a prize, the, the New Testament tells us. So he does go down to the pit and to death and win, win a prize. And so he is the overcomer of not only this world, but he is the overcomer of the pit and he's the overcomer of hell. He says, our faithfulness in the place of destruction, shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of the forgetfulness. Yeah, God will do that. And yes, there is an answer of hope. Yet the answer to these questions are rhetorical and they are yes. God does do that. God does provide a way out. There is there is hope. I've never run into a single person, not one single person. And I have been around a lot of people that would fall in Psalm 88 category. They, If you put them in a psalm and you categorized all of humanity that you've been around, Psalm 88 would have a lot of people in it that I have come into contact with and dealt with. And they are in a hopeless situation. But there is hope. There's real hope. And I've never been in a position where I could say to a person that there's no hope for you because I know my God and I do know if, if his purpose is hope for them, then there is only hope for them and, and nothing terrible. And so I can be a source of hope because I know God and I know his hope and I, I can relay that to them. And it is amazing how just a little bit of hope sprinkled on a life of, of utter despair changes things. It's amazing how it does. And your words of hope, you're overcoming by the blood of the lamb and, the, and by the word of your testimony the words you have to say of testimony about the hope we find in Jesus Christ because of the blood of the Lamb, you have you have a great you have a great message for these. And these people uh, eat this like they eat that stuff like candy. And the reason they do it is because they, it's, it's it's a spring of living water to them that they have not experienced in a long time. And so what a, what amazing ministry we have of reconciliation to reconcile those to God who have no hope. He says, uh, and, you know, the New Testament tells us that what a great ministry of reconciliation we have. But to you I've cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, who, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? These seem to be very difficult questions that this person, that uh, Cora is asking of God. And they are difficult questions. And you, many people say, can you do that? Can you ask God these can you, should you, that, isn't that kind of irreverent? Isn't that, aren't you not being respectful of God? Quite clearly, scripture is showing us that God wants us to ask these questions. God desires for us to seek him out. And, the, and when he reveals himself to us and gives us new life, that new life is going to find us in hopelessness. And so the questions and the seeking him out 
are going to be always come from a place of hopelessness at the very start. They're always going to come from a place of darkness at the very start because we're the children of darkness until we become the children of light. And there's nothing wrong with asking these questions. He says, Lord, why do you cast off my soul? David was a man after God's own heart, and he asked God very hard, very difficult questions. He sought God out. The uh, patriarch Job, the great man that Job sought God out in the darkness. Now, when God answers, he answers as God. He doesn't pander to us. He comes directly back at us, but but he is not displeased when we come and ask him the hard questions because he is the God of the hard answers. He's the God of the answers. And so he wants to. He wants us to ask us, why do you cast off my soul? Verse 14, why do you, why do you, your fa- why do you hide your face from me? I've been afflicted and ready to die from my, my, from my youth. He says, I'm, I've been, a, I have an affliction from my very youth. He says, I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Boy, it, it is, is it not just absolute despair? He says, your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. There's a reality that God's holy here, which is oftentimes people say, I want to glorify God. Everyone glorifies God. You either glorify his grace and mercy or, or his wrath and judgment. And God will be glorified by his whole creation. And how that comes about has to do with his work in your life. And here, quite clearly, this person is dealing with his rebellion and God is a terror to him. He says, they came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me all together. Loved one and friend you have put far from me. And my acquaintance, acquaintances into darkness. And it ends that way. That's the way that Psalm ends. Like I said, there's absolutely no vision of hope for this person. And I want you to notice that the people that he has relationship with have been separated from him. And and that separation has caused a, a rift in his life because we are people's acquaintances and their friends are the carriers of the hope of God that people need. And you are one of those acquaintances and you're one of those friends, one of those loved ones that bring forth hope into the world. And you need to understand and you need to see that that there are people around us who are literally in this position. They're in this, they're in this situation and, and they need a message and a word of hope from us. And we give that message of hope. We are that source of hope, and it, it, it doesn't have to be made up. It can be sincere and real. It can be it can be full of joy and reality at the same time. Oftentimes, I find humor, and then I find I find directness to be the greatest tools to use in those situations. When a person is in a place of total hopelessness, humor uh, reveals that there is hope. And directness helps them see that there's a path out and does not allow them to sink back in their own despair. You can allow a person to sink in their despair by not being direct with them and not telling them exactly what to do. And you will find that a person that is in this situation rarely hears a word of directness. And and it doesn't have to be harsh and it doesn't have to be difficult. It can actually be filled, filled. It can be dripping with grace. 
look, you, you, there is hope for you. There is a way out, but you're going to have to walk this path. And this is the path that you need to walk. And let me tell you, I believe you can. And I believe the only reason that we're talking about this is that is that God has made a way for you and you need to chase after that way. You need to get up and quit worrying about what's happened in the past and what you've worried about those things and chase after this and see a word of hope and a word of life to somebody is amazing, but it's got to be given. It's got to be given by someone that they know or someone that they have knowledge of. And that's you. And so when we run run into a Psalm 88 person and, and they are out there, and the, I'm likely to run into one of them today in the courtroom or in the jail, they are, or just in their home. If you run into a Psalm 88 person, you're the only light they're probably going to see. And you need to be a source of, of joy, uh, a source of uh, compassion, hope. And, and sometimes you need to be very direct about that and not cajole them and not pet them, but encourage them toward life. And I pray that you can be. I know those who generally watch us online are, are those type of people. You're world changers. So go change your world. May God bless you and keep you. May his face to shine, may he make his face to shine upon you. May he give you hope and peace. And may you give others hope and peace in this day. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.